You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1348 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you deep into the night on a Monday into Tuesday here in mid-November. And today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Learn more and save 10% off on your first month at betterhelp.com slash LockedOnNBA. And today's episode is also going to be a reminder to subscribe to the podcast, make us your first listen each and every day. Check us out across platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube on the video side, and we definitely thank you for checking out the podcast today. The show is going to focus on what became a very impressive road win for the Hawks, a 121-106 to win up in Milwaukee over the Bucks. This is the uh, third matchup in about two weeks between these two teams. It's been very familiar, and the Bucks were a little bit shorthanded in this spot, but the Hawks were still underdogs to tip off. Still a real challenge. The Hawks played very, very well. In fact, winning all four quarters in this game. Kind of that wire-to-wire, not necessarily dominant, but certainly on the borderline of that. They played very, very well in this game, and there's plenty to get to from this contest. But if you are a new listener, welcome aboard, first of all. And also what we'll do here is sort of dive into all the ins and outs of what transpired in the game. Big picture, little picture with regard to details, and then we'll look ahead, have some player evaluations at the end of the podcast, and a fun time ahead on this show. So as I mentioned before, the Bucks came in leading the East at 10 to 2 overall. And their only real loss this year was to the Hawks, actually, in Atlanta last week. That game with actually came out without Trey Young in that spot. Their, their other loss actually came without both Giannis and Drew Holiday. So that was basically the zombie Bucks in that spot. They had the best record in, in the entire NBA and the best defensive rating in the entire NBA by a lot coming into the night. Third matchup in 16 days, the fifth time they've actually played each other, if you include preseason games, because they played twice in Abu Dhabi in like a five-week period. So a lot of familiarity between these two teams, for sure. A slight rest advantage for the Bucs coming in. They, they had not played since Friday night, whereas the Hawks played on Saturday. But injury-wise, the Hawks were actually notably healthier in this game. Only Bogdanovich was on the injury report for Atlanta. That's been the case for most of the season, but he's obviously still out at this point. Akamu came back after his one-game hiatus. The Bucs, though, were shorthanded. And that's context we have to at least point out. I'm not trying to pour cold water. I promise I'll, get, I'll have plenty of positivity about the Hawks on this podcast. I promise you. But the Bucks were without a lot of their better players in this game. Drew Holiday was the notable absence because he had been playing recently. He'd been playing the season. He's, of course, a star level player on the perimeter. Uh, that was a new absence for the Bucks. Chris Middleton's been out all year long, but he's obviously a top three player for them. Pat Connaughton's been out as well. He's he's one of the rotation guys. That's three of their top eight and two of their top three. Obviously, it's number two and number three with Giannis being number one, but um, that's definitely a notable absence. And then during the game, the Bucks lost Grayson Allen, who isn't a great player, but with their lack of creation on the perimeter, that was actually a notable loss. And then Wes Matthews went down in the fourth quarter as well. So they were down a lot by the end of this game. The Hawks, though, still were underdogs. According to Bell Online, our friends over there, the Hawks were four-point underdogs at tip-off in this game. And that's kind of the nature of being on the road against a very good team. I kind of like the Hawks' chances in this spot, to be honest with you. But at the same time, it was always an uphill battle going against the stout Milwaukee Bucks. And the Hawks did play very, very well in this game. We'll get into kind of the game flow now. And the Hawks led early and often. In fact, they led for the vast majority, like 46 of the 48 minutes in this game. A 15-7 run out of the gate for Atlanta. John Collins had the first bucket of the game off the path by Trey Young. He was good in this game. The Hawks were 7-9 from the floor to open the game. And one of those misses actually was an offensive rebound as well. So they were very, very efficient at the outset. And in keeping with the balance of the entire night, all five starters 
scored in the first seven shots that the Hawks made. So that was a pretty interesting thing there. The one time the Bucks led the entire game was a 13-2 run right after that to kind of retake the lead very briefly. The Hawks only had two points in about a three-minute stretch. And from that point forward, it was all Hawks, at least to some extent. Um, rotationally, there were some changes in this game that was sort of the headliner, at least in terms of a lot of Hawks fan attention, for sure. Akongwood, Aaron Holiday were the first subs coming in mid-quarter. Trey came out and then went back in quickly. That's sort of become a Hawks staple the last couple of weeks. That's a new wrinkle compared to the early season when Trey was playing the entire first quarter. But now he's been coming out for like a two-minute stretch in the middle of the quarter every night for about a week and a half. Then AJ Griffin came in. At about a three-minute mark of the first quarter when Trey came back in. So they actually had him paired with Capella and Trey. I like that on some level for all parties involved. He had a nice turnaround jump shot over a smaller guy in George Hill right after he came in the game. And that was a good reminder of his offensive versatility. Uh, then Joe and Johnson came in when Capella came back. But the the big change besides uh, AJ just playing more often and more consistently was that there was no Justin Holiday in this game at all. And we don't know yet if this is a one-game change with regard to Holiday not playing at all. Um, but it was the case here. The Hawks only played nine guys in the competitive portion, and he was not one of them. Um, I've definitely seen a lot of negativity from Hawks fans about Justin Holiday in particular. And I think a lot of that, maybe even most of that, does stem from just kind of wanting AJ Griffin to play more, which I do, which I do understand. I've been saying, if you've not been listening to every podcast, I've been um, promoting the fact that Griffin should play more. That, that kind of goes against my tendencies because I usually don't have a lot of uh, enthusiasm for rookies helping you win. But I think AJ and his skill set on this roster right now with Bogdanovich needs to be playing more. I've said that r- routinely. Um, but I, I will say this, like there's been a lot of what, what I would perceive as being too negative on Justin Holiday. I kind of made a joke during the game tonight that um, the Hawks, Hawks fans seem to have a, a penchant for really, really disliking uh, these veteran kind of boring wings. It was TLC, it was Solomon Hill, it was Tony Snell at times, and now it's Justin Holiday. Um, and for me, this is a little thing because, again, I, I'm all on board with playing A.J. Griffin, and I, I want to I stress that. I would have played A.J. Griffin even more than this before this, so that's kind of just getting out there. This is a matchup, though, against Milwaukee where I actually thought that Justin made more sense to play than Aaron. Um, Aaron Holiday's big value is kind of you know being a pest against ball handlers, and he was that in this game, but Milwaukee was not exactly overflowing with, with ball handling and creation on the, on the floor right now in this game without Drew and others. So, uh, you know, I think Justin would have, would have brought a little bit more utility to the game. I know there is a thought from Hawks fans that have only watched the team this year that Aaron is the better player. I don't really see that, but they're different enough where I actually think it would be actually make a lot of sense to me to kind of go in to every single night right now for the Hawks with a rotation that is going to have the same eight guys and then either Justin or Aaron in that ninth spot. That makes a lot of sense to me. I'm not sure Nate's going to do that. It might just be Aaron every night and we'll see how that rolls, but um, I would be quick to point out that I would not bail on Justin Holiday. I know Hawks fans were kind of throwing a party in my mentions when I mentioned first first that Holiday was not playing in the game. I get it, but I think that Justin probably should not be just like banished. That's just my thought. And again, not not, not the expense of AJ, but I think there were matchups, plenty of them actually, where I think Justin would be uh, having more, t- more utility than Aaron. But alas, that was one of the headliners of the night. Was beyond the win itself was that AJ played in both halves and had a clear rotation spot, which is kind of all that a lot of us have been asking for, including myself, like just some clarity on what AJ was going to be asked to do. It was bizarre on Saturday, and I said, said this a lot on that show. I only do it once here, that he sat for the entire first three quarters of the game on Thursday and then played the entire fourth. That's just kind of a nonsensical approach even if it kind of was like, I guess, to spearhead the offense late in the game. But in this one, he had a design design role. He played pretty well in it, and that's good to see by all parties. 
anyway, with that out of the way, uh, Hunter had a nice game in this spot. DeAndre did. Uh, he, he made his first four shots, had nine quick points. I thought he was uh, making a jump shot, at least at times in this game, was actually quite aggressive getting into the line in the second half, which was encouraging for me to see. In fact, uh, later on, we'll get into this, but Hunter set a career high with 10 free throw attempts and 10 makes in this game. Good aggressiveness there from him. I thought defensively, Collins and Capella were flying around early in the game, and that was kind of pervasive throughout the night trey actually blew a transition layup which is uh, kind of uncommon for him but capella followed that up it was kind of a reminder that trey's two-point shooting has been as bad as bad or worse than three-point shooting this year and again in this game actually trey was five and 14 on twos it's just been a weird night a weird season i should say for him on two-point shooting but Hawks did leave this game at my five in the first quarter, they held the Bucks to a point per possession or less in that opening period, which is certainly the way you want to start the game if you are the Hawks. And they shot the ball well from two-point range. They only had two turnovers in the first quarter. There was more of that, and we'll get to all of it, I promise you, coming up on the podcast, how this game transpired, the Hawks winning every quarter of the night, some overall takeaways on the offense and the defense, and it was a two-way win. I want to stress that right now. It was a two-way win for the Hawks. Good offense and good defense and good individual play as well. Before we get to all of that, though, worth of our sponsors on the show today. Today's show is brought to you by Sweat Block. And dealing with sweat is never fun, no matter what the situation might be. No one wants to sweat at a bad time, whether you're giving a presentation at work or going on a date or dealing with the heat in Atlanta or elsewhere in the South over the summer. In fact, sweat issues can really hurt your confidence as well. We ought to be confident what we're doing. And with that said, Sweat Block is the way to fix those problems. Sweat Block wipes are, are invented by a doctor and they're guaranteed to work or you don't have to pay. They call it the Sweat Block Dry Shirt Guarantee. And Sweat Block does not keep you dry. You get your money back. If you are someone you love is experiencing embarrassing sweat or odor, Sweatblock is the answer. You can try it risk-free today. Go to sweatblock.com and save 20% if you use the promo code locked on. And Sweatblock is also available on Amazon. One more time, that is sweatblock.com, promo code locked on for 20% off with Sweatblock. Today's show is also brought to you by Rocket Money. I have way too many jobs. The party keeping up with all that is that I actually have a ton of subscriptions to actually manage. Sometimes that might be really difficult to do, and I've actually forgotten to cancel things at times because you just forget or something gets by you or you're double, you're double subscribed to something or something like that. But with Rocket Money, it's not really a problem for me anymore. And Rocket Money is fantastic. It's also formerly known as Truebill. And the app shows you all the subscriptions that you might have in one place. And they cancel everything you actually don't want to keep for you. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions that you didn't know you were paying for. And you might have to find out at this point you've been double charged for something for quite some time. That's obviously the worst. And Rocket Money can fix that for you in a hurry to cancel something. All you have to do is press cancel and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Get rid of the unnecessary subscriptions that you might have with Rocket Money today. Go to rocketmoney.com slash locked on. Seriously, it can save you hundreds of dollars every single year. That's rocketmoney.com slash locked on. We'll dive back in now to how this game kind of flowed. And the Hawks pushed the lead up to eight early in the second quarter. I thought Jalen Johnson was quite good in his first stint of the, of the game. Good activity on defense. There was a good piece, by the way, from Kevin Schnard, my uh, my close friend that I spent a lot of time with at State Farm Arena from Hawks.com. He wrote about Jalen's defense today. I definitely re- recommend checking that out. But uh, it was all about his defensive impact so far this year. I think his off-ball stuff has uh, been a little bit shaky at times, but his on-ball impact has been really clear. That was definitely the case as well tonight with his just length and activity level. That's good to see. There was a tough whistle for the Hawks. In the second quarter, I'm not big on officiating complaints. You know, I'm not going to rant and rave about that most of the time. But I thought Milwaukee got some pretty kind whistles in the second quarter in particular. And at one point in this game, the Bucs had 18 free throw attempts and the Hawks had one. Now, 
part of that's playing style and the Bucks are a much better team at getting free throw attempts than the Hawks are. So it's not always an officiating conspiracy when one team has more free throws than the other, but it was a little bit weird. That was that, that kind of split. And the Hawks actually took more than the Bucks did the rest of the game from that point forward, which is good to see, but it took a while for that actually to happen. Um, a nice, a couple of uh, nice interior passes. I thought from Griffin that I wanted to mention a rookie kind of just being very poised with the ball in his hands. Um, a reminder, he's not just a shooter. Like obviously his shooting is fantastic, but I, t- I talked about this a lot before the draft. He's not just a standstill jump shooter. Like he's very, very adept. He's getting more of that kind of back from his early high school days when he was considered to be like one of the top three guys in that class. He's a very offensive player, and we saw that a little bit more in this game. A couple of nice passes to a Kongwu in that stretch. They somehow avoided all, all like real foul trouble in this game. Uh, I will say Jalen Johnson and the Kongwu both got a bunch of fouls in short clumps, but they were, they were not playing as much to actually have that be a concern. Akong got his fifth foul. He was the one guy who actually had real foul trouble in this game, but it really didn't matter too much for the game flow. The Bucs, though, were totally different on offense, on defense, I should say, with Brooke Lopez on the floor versus off the floor. When Brooke Lopez came off the floor, the Hawks were able to kind of go right at the rim. Uh, Serge Ibaka was not going to get in, in anyone's way. Bobby Portis, same thing. You know, obviously, Giannis is really good, but they could not stop anyone, uh, the Bucs. Sorry, they couldn't stop the Hawks when Brooke Lopez left the floor in this game. It's pretty obvious to me. They were uh, Trey was more comfortable as a finisher during those stretches. Capella was definitely you know flying in for lobs, et cetera. But neither team could th- make a three in the first half. They were combined at two of 17 from three in the first 20-ish minutes of this one. There was one kind of strange substitution pattern at the end of the first half that I wanted to mention. It was that Aaron Holiday played the last three minutes of the, of the first half. Murray sat the last three minutes, um, which is a little bit weird. He didn't have foul trouble or struggles, and I think it might have been just to watch his minutes because he had played 18 already at that point. That's not something you usually see, though, for a guy to close a half that's one of your, you know, obviously one of your top two players and not play at the end of the half. But just wanted to at least mention that out loud. But a nice ending run from the Hawks, a 10 to 2 push later in the first half to go up by 14. And they led by 13 at the half. Defensively, they were awesome in the first half across the board. The Bucks shot 40% from the floor. And they only allowed 10 shots at the rim the entire half. That's a fantastic number. They obviously, the only blowage was the free throw attempts. They allowed 24 in the first half. That's way too many. But uh, it was a really complete half of basketball. Um, and that continued in the second half, quite honestly. So we'll, we'll just dive right into that now. Um, Collins actually made a three early in the third quarter that was really encouraging to see because he hadn't made one in a while. Uh, I talked about this a little bit last on, on the podcast on Saturday night, but the trio of Collins, Murray, and Young have really been fighting it from three, in particular Collins, who was at one point tonight – nine of 38 for the season. Uh, I think he made one of his last three. So he's up to like 10 of 40 for the year. That's still really bad uh, and really, really ugly stuff from Collins overall. But at least he took, he took one with no hesitation, took, took five attempts. He has to keep shooting. You know, people keep asking him about the finger issue. Uh, he is continuously downplay the finger this year. Uh, we'll see, but I, I want him to at least keep shooting. He was able to do that. I thought he played very well in this game, actually, overall. He drew a charge on on Giannis right after that. That was good to see. There was a technical foul on Trey Young right after that. He got a bucket over Javon Carter, gave the too small motion, which is uh, famously uh, that one that everybody kind of uses these days. Um, That's not usually enough to get a technical foul. People were kind of asking me why that that would have been a T. I think Trey almost had to have said something to either – Javon Carter or the official or, or both. Uh, I don't know what that would have been, but I can't imagine he actually got a T just for, just for the too small motion. That just doesn't happen. Uh, so I don't have a definitive answer for you there, but it was a little bit strange. Uh, Hunter buried a no hesitation three right after that off a catch and shoot. And Capella had a big dunk to go up by 18 points halfway through the uh, third quarter. I was encouraged by the Hunter shot quite a bit. Hunter is not always the most decisive guy and just taking a catch and shoot three with no jab step or anything like that. 
I think he should do more of that, honestly, and that was a good moment for him. Uh, immediately, though, the Bucks had a nice run after that as Capella came out of the game. The Hawks were not quite the same with the Kongwu as they were with Capella in this one, I didn't think. Uh, although Kongwu was always played well against Milwaukee, he wasn't bad. Capella was just really, really good in this game. And as I mentioned before, Kongwu got some fouls in this one. He had his fourth foul in the first 12 minutes, ended up with five in like 17 or 18 minutes. He came into the night averaging seven and a half fouls per 100 possessions for the season. That's a really high number, and it's even higher than last year. So uh, long-term, more than short-term. Because short-term, as long as Capella's out there, he's not going to play enough minutes for that to really, really matter. But long-term, if he, when, he, when he becomes a starter eventually, which you would hope he probably will at some stage, he's going to have to figure out how to stop fouling as much. Hunter, though, had a, had a season high in scoring. He had actually in the third quarter at one point, and he was really getting in the line aggressively. They waited a little bit longer to go to Griffin in the second half but they came back in with him and Johnson at the end of the third quarter, back and forth, back and forth. The Hawks were up by 14 at the end of the third quarter, basically played dead even in the third, which is okay. It was a slog of a quarter. There were 26 free throw attempts combined by the two teams in the third quarter. So it wasn't like a whole lot of fun to watch in that period. The Hawks didn't really make a lot of shots, but they were able to hang on because the free throw shooting uh, appeared for them at that point in time. And then in the fourth, it was really never – totally uh you know uncomfortable there was one moment that we'll get to in a second where the hawks were uh, only up by nine but it was a relatively comfortable lead the entire way there was a nice run out from murray and jalen johnson for a dunk early in the period um they went by 17 at that stage it was like 15 to 18 for most of the period and then Giannis scored four in a row got down to 13 they called timeout brought the starters back in probably about a minute too late they sort of stabilized things a little bit i thought Trey did a good job with something that the, actually the, there was a story about this with Boston doing it recently and John Morant's been doing it as well, kind of letting like 15 seconds go off the clock by managing the game well and just kind of letting the ball roll in the backcourt while the shot clock's not running. That was a wise play with a 15-point lead or so for Trey. The Hawks took a couple of quick jump shots in that period that were not fantastic. They weren't bad shots necessarily. They just were open and they missed them quickly, which kind of is not what you want to do when you have a lead. And they didn't score for about three minutes. And they weren't really attacking very much. The bus got down to nine with three minutes to go. Now, I thought it was really, really good timing. John Collins had two really good drives in a row after that. One to get to the line, to break the drought, to go back up by 11. He had actually had a nice close on Brooke Lopez right after that as well. And then after Murray had a beautiful pull-up jump shot over Bobby Portis, Collins got to, the, got, got to the rim again and finished through contact for a bucket to go up by 13. That was kind of a dagger-ish bucket from Collins with about 2.30 to go. The Bucs did score the next possession, but then Collins, uh, you know, one of those things where like the, between the, the Murray jump shot and the Collins finish, one of those is probably the dagger ultimately, and the Hawks kind of closed it out. There was a three very, very late by Griffin, and then the benches were emptied for the final like minute, minute and a half, and that was a nice uh, sort of takeaway win for this Hawks team. So, you know, plenty of stuff to like evaluate, but big picture, the Hawks snap a nine-game regular season losing streak in Milwaukee. They, they had not won in Milwaukee – in the regular season, I want to stress that because they, they did win game one in the playoff series a couple of years ago. But they had, won, they had not won there in regular season since like 2016. It had been, it'd been a long time. And they beat a Bucks team that, while shorthanded, was still quite good. They were favored in the game. Giannis is the best player in the world, in my opinion. And defensively, the Bucks have been lights out all year long. The Hawks scored effectively throughout the contest. Again, the offense, if I had to pick one side, I, I wouldn't want to pick one side because they were really good on both ends of the floor in this game. But I, I would probably lean offense, honestly, because – you know, they had a 119 offensive rating against a good defense. And while Drew Holiday definitely helps their defense and being without him makes them worse, I think his impact right now with Middleton out is actually felt more on offense than defense. And, uh, yeah, I just wanted to point that out, generally speaking. And the Bucks without Drew are pretty bad on, on offense, honestly. So 
putting up a 119 against the Bucks is impressive. Nate really praised Trey and DeJounte for managing the game throughout, and I definitely agree with that. I thought he was uh, – both those guys were very, very effective in kind of doing what they wanted to do there. They definitely played through Hunter uh, a good amount, and he was able to be aggressive in this game as well. They shot 48% from the floor. That's not like outstanding, but certainly t- totally fine. They were good from two. Only 7-20 from three. That's a number that's still, you know, every night's going to be a, a question about this Hawks team. They don't take a lot of threes, but they don't have to take a lot of threes if they are doing the right things in offensive game at the rim. Because in this game, they weren't settling as much for mid-rangers. There were still plenty of those. They got, to the, they got to the rim, and they got to the line. And that combination really helps you to kind of offset the lack of threes. They got to the line 30 times and made 26 of them. That's a very nice weapon. Uh, basically, everyone other than Capella is a good free throw shooter that gets to the line for this Hawks team. Um, Hunter... Is pretty good. Collins is pretty good. Trey's obviously elite. Murray's a good free throw shooter. Um, Capella's obviously not, but everybody else is. So that's a nice little weapon in your back pocket if you can get to the line and create that. Only nine turnovers as well and 13 offensive rebounds. That's a heck of a combination there. And 56 points in the paint. Every starter at 16 points. It was really, really balanced. There was not one dominant entity. You know, even Trey, who had a great night, 21 points. Uh, Hunter had 24. 19 for Capella, 19 for Murray, 16 for Collins. The bench was not like fantastic, which we'll get into in a second, but offensively, the, the stars were all really, really, really solid in this game. Defensively, a 103 efficiency allowed to the Bucs. Again, a pretty favorable matchup. I don't want to overstate it, but if you told me like coming into the night, like the Bucs were already below average this year in points per possession in the league. And if you take Drew away, like their perimeter creation, we can all be objective and be fair about this. They were not a uh, strong offensive unit in this one. Like Giannis is Giannis and he's extremely difficult to stop, but he was relatively human in this game. And uh, with the exception of Marjan Bochamp having a big game on the perimeter as a rookie, they didn't have much going on offense in this game. And part of that's the Hawks. The Hawks played very well defensively. They held the Bucks to a season low for threes, only six in the game. 41% 41% from the floor. That's a good number. They did allow 41 free throw attempts. That's way too many for any team, even with Giannis. Uh, that is the only blemish, though, on the record for the Hawks. They had 17 turnovers that led right to 20 points. And uh, generally speaking, they were very solid. The bigs are really good in this game. Even on the perimeter, I thought Trey was better than average for him in this game. I thought Murray was good and, and disruptive. Uh, Hunter did a good job. The bench guys did a good job. Generally speaking, Griffin was totally fine. Aaron Holiday was a pest in the way a, a pest in the, in the way that he kind of is, generally speaking. So it was a good night overall for this Hawks team. And we'll get into more of it in a second with the individual breakdowns. But first, one more break to hear from our sponsors on the podcast today. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. If you're looking for DFS option in the NBA or anything else this year, check out the award-winning app at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love it, and I know that you will too. It's so easy to use. I can vouch for that because I've actually been playing on Prize Picks for quite some time in various sports and really enjoy the daily grind. I'm going through all the numbers. All you have to do is pick two to five players and choose whether they actually have more or less than a certain number of points, rebounds, assists, or any other stat that you're looking for at Prize Picks. What up to ten times on the amount on any entry, and it's just you against the projected numbers. Prize Picks also offers Stuff on every sport you could possibly think of. That includes the NBA and college basketball, WNBA, NFL, college football, MLB, NHL, PGA, soccer, esports. They have NASCAR, they have tennis, MMA, boxing, cricket, and more. Entries can be done in just a minute or less. It's that quick and that easy. And Prospects also have safe and fast withdrawals, and they're operating in more than 30 states plus Canada at this point. That also includes Georgia, where I am right now. Download the Prospects app or go to Prospects.com, I should say, to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users have 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. Do not forget to enter the promo code Locked On and sign up for the instant deposit match up to $100. Check it all out now at Prospects. 
All right, and we'll dive in now to the individual players in this one and a lot of positive stuff to talk about. As we talked about earlier in the show, no Justin Holiday in this one, so only a nine-player rotation for Atlanta, only four bench guys. They do have a brief stint with Tyrese Martin and Vic Krejci and Jarrett Culver, but we'll kind of cross those guys off for the purposes of this. Uh, we'll start with Griffin, who played, I thought, very solidly. He wasn't spectacular. He did have two turnovers, hit seven points, two rebounds and an assist. I thought AJ did his he, – he, Sort of looked good to me. Uh, he looked mature. He was under control. He's been a bright spot throughout the season. I think he is definitely well ahead of where a normal quote unquote rookie would be, um, especially one drafted in his range. Uh, part of that's that he is overqualified for his range. I liked him a lot more than that in the draft. But uh, even then, a 19 year old, he looks he looks like a rookie, like like a non rookie most of the time, which is a huge compliment for uh, someone who has played as little basketball as he has uh, as a professional. So I thought he looked good. Uh, defensively, you know, he's I think that he's not been a disaster, which is honestly, again, a compliment to him. So uh, we'll see how they handle that moving forward. I, I, it felt like probably a permanent change to me, uh, and I would hope so based on what I think of what, what he what he brings. The next hurdle would be um, when Bogey comes back, how they kind of handle all of that stuff. But um, as I said before briefly, I would probably go back and forth with the holidays and leave AJ alone and have him be in that role in that you know fifteen, you know, f- f- I would say probably something like fourteen to eighteen minutes a game on average for for AJ it would be totally fine, and that's kind of what I think he'll probably do in the near future. Um, Aaron Holiday had a good game. I thought he was at least, um, for the matchup not being fantastic for him, he had four points on, on five shots, which is not great. He did have two assists and three rebounds. He was on the floor for one of the big runs, so he actually had a huge plus mile. I think it was like plus 16, something like that, in this game. Um, I still think that you might want to go Justin at certain points, but uh, I don't mind that either way. It's not like it's not going to bother me too much. And I think that, uh, you know, Aaron does a certainly a, a solid job. And a reminder that was a very solid minimum signing when they actually picked him up in the offseason. Jalen Johnson had a good game, I thought. Five points on two shots, made both, got to the line as well, and made, made one free throw attempt on a three-point play, had an assist, had a steal, had, had one turnover, but wasn't like a terribly wasn't a terrible one. Two rebounds. I thought Jalen had a positive night at the office. And then Akongwu um probably was the guy that I had like the most middling grade on for his own skill set. Obviously, he's the best player on the bench right now. So that's kind of a grading on a curve kind of thing. Six points, five rebounds for Okongwu, had, had a block shot. The five fouls in 17 minutes is not what you want necessarily. He was only dead even in the plus minus. He was the only guy who played big minutes that actually had kind of a, a sorry, him and AJ, the only ones that were not in the positive. But I think that um, Okongwu was still fine. He just didn't have, like you, at least recently, he's had great games against Milwaukee, and he was just okay in this one, which is not like a bad thing, just what it is. Um, and again, the starters were really awesome, all five of them. Uh, not everybody shot that well. You know, Hunter and Collins both did not have great um, efficiency games as a shooter in this one. John was 6-15 from the floor, 1-5 from three. Uh, got to the line three times, made all three, had nine rebounds, 16 points, had a steal and a block. I think defensively, he was very good on Giannis and very good overall. Um, you know, basically all year long, I think Collins, Capella, Akongwu, that trio has been very good defensively. And that was the case in this game. I thought Hunter, um, I talked about the free throw shooting earlier, but got to the line for a career best, career best, 10 attempts, made all 10, 24 points. Uh, not like he was crazy efficient. He was only four of 12 on twos, but he was getting downhill. A couple of too many like of those pull-up contested mid-rangers for me. But as long as he's getting to the free throw line and getting downhill, taking more threes, that would be good uh, across the board. And he did find his rebounder in this game, had three. It's not like a disastrous number for him. Uh, I thought Capella was once again like completely dominant. Uh, he's been getting more attention the last couple of weeks, which been for good reason. I was on that you know very early. I think Capella looks the part as a, you know, 
top 10 center in the league. Like he's been, he's been playing fantastic basketball, 19 and 10 in this one, plus two blocks, had two assists, nine of 11 at, at, from the field is also very, very good for Clint. It's not like he's taking tough shots, but he was definitely finishing at a higher level the last, you know, three, four, five games. And, uh, yeah, I think I'm a broken record now, but I think Clint has been game-changing defensively this season for the Hawks. And then the guards, you know, Trey and DeJounte were not terribly explosive by their standards, but they were both effective. Uh, DeJounte had 19 points, eight rebounds, and five assists in 36 minutes. Um, only took 14 shots, got to the line seven times. He was just balanced across the board. A couple, you know, he had the one kind of daggerish pull-up jump shot in like two minutes that like, was like two minutes to go. But I thought he was just solid across the board. And Trey didn't. Um, have a fantastic game by the numbers. I thought he was much more under control than he's been in the last couple of games before this. Uh, defensively, I thought he was better than he's been recently as well. They have nine assists and with two turnovers. That's a huge number for him. Um, nine, nine and two is a good ratio. 21 points. He did, he did go cold once again with a shooting. I think he opened this game something like five of seven or something like that. And it was seven, 19, seven, 19, you know, the two point shooting is a problem and I don't want to go crazy about it now, but he's five of 14 again on twos. So he's got to figure something out around the rim, whether it's the floaters or the finishes around the rim, uh, both hands or the pull-ups, all of it, he's got to get better, but some positive regression for him as far as his overall impact. I thought Trey was actually quite good in this game and was uh, certainly a more balanced performance from him, which helped everybody else. I think he was kind of more a distribution mode, which is where he needs to be at times for the Hawks. So from here, number one, a great win. For the Hawks, you don't want to overstate it. I, I kind of, I think they might have been joking, but I had someone call this a must-win in my mentions the other day, which I laughed about. Like nothing is a must-win in November, particularly when you're an underdog on the road against Milwaukee. Um, I wouldn't even call a home game against like OKC a must-win because that's just not a thing that occurs in November. But I thought it was pretty funny. But you know, no matter what the context was, the Hawks going into Milwaukee and facing a team that had Giannis on it and winning by 15 points is a heck of a result. And the Hawks are down nine and five overall. And importantly, four and three on the road. That's a good, solid production through 14 games overall and seven games on the road. A nice little test coming up for the Hawks on Wednesday. They will face the Celtics for the first time this season. Boston took Milwaukee's place at the top of the East um, tonight with a win. And the Celtics are uh, actually on a seven-game winning streak. And they lead the entire NBA in offensive rating right now. Usually a defense first team, but they've been lighting it up on offense this year. They're difficult to guard. They're 11-3 overall. So uh, no rest for the weary here. The Hawks have Tuesday off to travel back. But then Wednesday at home should be a nice atmosphere against the Celtics team that I still think is if you had to, if you sort of pulled Hawks fans, might be their number one rival, especially for a certain generation of people, i.e. my age or older. Boston's always been the team that people kind of dislike the most of, of Hawks fans. So a big one, a big one for sure. A lot of attention paid to that game on Wednesday, and we'll have full coverage of that one in the meantime. So please subscribe to the podcast across platforms. Please check us out on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or YouTube on the video side. Follow us on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland, and we'll have much more coverage coming up later in the week.